0: Welcome to the EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. International expansion is the key to success for many startups, but it's also fraught with difficulties. Tafik Koreshi has worked in several countries and brought technology to many more. In this episode, he gives some great insights on overcoming the challenges, when to internationalize, and how to go about it. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe on all good podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harmanco.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So today we are joined by Tawfiq Qureshi, who is Managing Director at InverTech. Welcome to the podcast, Tawfiq.
1: Thank you very much, um, Ranrita, for having me here.
0: Our pleasure. As usual, we'd like to start by getting to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell us how you became involved in the EIS Fund Management?
1: Thank you very much uh, for asking this question. Before I answer uh, this question, I would like to give you a bit of uh, my background. I'm an engineer by profession, telecommunication electronics engineer. I practiced engineering until uh, 2013, and since then I became an active investor in technology companies, actually. During my investment journey, I observed that this is a great initiative of a British government which encourages investors to invest and and actually claim a tax relief in the uh, form of SEIS and EIS. So SEIS, Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, and EIS is is Enterprise Investment Scheme. Once the companies attract this funding and get their idea off the ground, what I observed that then they actually have an issue in raising further rounds of growth capital until the point they become a mature, investable, private or public companies, actually. And that is, as, inspires me to solve this problem industry-wide. Only, of course, because of my speciality in technology area, I'm only working with mostly deep tech, artificial intelligence, clean technology, agricultural technology, or financial technology companies, actually, and providing them a growth capital with the, with the diversified shareholder base of a new Invotech. Because we took over Invotech with some uh, friends and colleagues in 2019 to exactly do what I just shared with you.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, so Invotech is a name that's been around in the sort of SEIS market in particular, but also EIS for a while. But it might might still be new to some people. Can you tell us a bit about what Invotech does and what makes it a bit different? Of course. So, as I said, Invotech 2.2, I
1: call it. However, Invotech has been around for the last 30 odd years. InvoTech has done not only EIS, SEIS, but also has worked with the British Business Bank and some other institutions in the past. InvoTech has raised limited partnerships under the general partnership uh, traditional fund structure. InvoTech is an alternative fund management. We also have a corporate finance advisory license as well. So, The current InvoTech, what we do, we are hugely focused on environmental, social, and governance, ESG, and investment. We are working with our portfolio of 25 rising stars, or gems, I call them, for their growth capital and expansion into other geographies from North America to Africa to Middle East, actually. And we have also continued our EIS-SCIS journey in the form of InvoTech Technology EIS-SCIS Fund. Furthermore, uh, we have some niche projects uh, which uh, we are working on right now and will be launched at later part of this year. One of them is a female venture fund because InvoTech has been quite, I'll say, lucky and also to the wisdom of previous management. The portfolio of Invotech has got 25% of female led companies. And those companies are deep tech in the clean tech and uh, financial technology areas, actually. So we want to expand and uh, we want to leverage our experience and history in the female equity gap because you are aware of there's only 1% of VC money goes into female-led companies and we want to address that gap. So InvoTech will be doing some niche projects like that uh, in future.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a bit later because... I know we're planning a diversity episode on the podcast sometime in the autumn. So I think we're going to be digging into that a little bit more. But what I want to focus on today was about overseas expansion, because you in particular have very strong connections in South Asia, Middle East, Africa. Maybe you want to explain how those have come about.
1: Sure. And uh, just to add to that, we have a connectivity in uh, North America as well. And we are working in with a couple of our companies, uh, for example, the company called Cognism or the company called Amsol in the clean tech area to expand them into North American markets, actually. Uh, So how does this whole thing come about? Because I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I have lived in U.S., in Dubai and, of course, living in London for the last 15 years. I have a very good connectivity uh, across the continents. And, and when I launched the project of InvoTech with other friends and colleagues, what we did, we attracted a shareholder base, some family offices and family business owners to participate and become a shareholder of InvoTech. And the vision and the idea behind that was to assist our companies for the international expansion. So when we take some company into international market, we are not taking them in a cold market. They are not going to go and launch and find their feed themselves. Our shareholder base at InvoTech actually take charge for the expansion, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going, going back almost a step in terms of maybe it's worth asking the question about why companies should be moving into international markets, because I think most of us know the answer, but I think talking about it, will maybe open up some of the topics we want to talk about.
1: Absolutely. So, why do people go into international markets? For a few reasons. One, of course, to expand the business and capture the market share of those markets. Number one. In some cases, actually, there are these are new services which even does not exist in those markets. So, the market is uh, virgin from that viewpoint. Actually, sometimes the sectors in those countries are not even existing. So, for example. I will go in the area of clean tech. So everybody's doing the solar parks and wind parks, etc., for quite some time. But not many countries have infrastructure or a framework in place to actually monitor the pollution levels in their cities, towns, etc. And we have one of the companies which which is exactly doing that, and that company is eager and keen to, to do the international expansion because that will help those countries on the receiving end to uh, meet their 2050 emission control goals, actually. It's not only the expansions required or desired from the companies itself, it's sometime actually pulled type of expansion where the countries are saying, can you please come here and help us in these projects, actually, from a government level.
0: Yeah, because the example you spoke about there, I can see that there's, there's sort of two arguments which must be hard for the company to decide between. One is there's places that are measuring already and they want technology because they're measuring. So that creates a demand for the technology. Or there's countries which are measuring it, which probably want to. So there's a nascent market. How does a company choose between those two? well honestly
1: speaking where uh, where we are uh, where our companies are in uh, the cycle, I think they are more towards the point if they are being invited and that is where Invotex shareholder base is very very important because uh, because uh, because of our shareholder base uh, the connectivity of the shareholder base on the ground is very strong long, and they do the groundwork for the sales and marketing for those companies to go and do and implement the projects in those countries actually. So, so so mostly our experience so far is the latter one. However, to go out and launch it in any country, there's a very different dynamic to do that. And uh, we can talk about the details that when it's the right time and how, etc. From that viewpoint because one has to be very, very careful when launching into a International expansion, actually, because it could actually hurt more than it could benefit in some cases.
0: Yeah, that that that's that's a very good point. I mean, certainly, I think a previous guest, Paul Mattox, spoke about one of his companies or had expanded into America too soon. When is too soon for for a company to start thinking about moving abroad? I used to uh,
1: say one thing that until unless you know you have uh, at least. Between five and ten million dollar uh, turnover, don't even think about international expansion. Actually, okay, but the world has changed and is changing very rapidly. And to be honest, there is no right or wrong answer. That when is the time? Because any time can be good. Any time can be bad. For example, if a company moves to any X Y Z country and started to implement their solution, their system, and finds out that the government change has happened or something else has triggered a legislation change and their business is not viable anymore, actually, in that part of the world. That can, whole thing can go down the drain, right? So if we, if we want to generalize this phenomena, we should be able to say that the company should go international if company is able to write off the loss it can incur from that international expansion by the local business they are running in their native country. That will make the case quite solid.
0: Okay. So, so it's a matter of company survival as much as anything else. And thinking about things like product market fit, I mean, presumably you wouldn't think about moving abroad until you've got product market fit in your domestic market. Is it always as easy? to sort of move abroad and say, if you've got product market fit in the UK, will product market fit automatically happen in the market or is there still going to be a a period of adjustment, do you think?
1: I think that actually this research should be done before even companies go to any country, actually, because uh, you have to consider language, you have to consider culture, you have to consider homogeneity, you have to consider regulations, Earns, you have to uh, see uh, what kind of a partners you can actually uh, get at. Any of these things can completely jeopardize the business expansion. So, for example, if language becomes a barrier in the uh, rollout of the solution, it will not work in any the country, right? For example, if the culture-wise there's a problem with that uh, particular product set or that particular service, actually, it will not fly. Or the most important thing that I've uh, shared earlier on is the regulations because sometimes the countries do not allow regulations. So, for example, in some countries, to date, uh, voice-over IP is not that familiar service. The, the internet passenger services do not work on a voice channel that well, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, and I think in one sense, we're very lucky in the UK because English is the international language of business, in the sense anything that happens in that's what happens in our language, which, you know, and, and someone who travels a bit, I know that makes life quite easy at times. But at the same time, that not necessarily the locals, or if you want to really integrate, you need that sort of local culture. How do companies cross that barrier? You know, do they start by restricted countries where they can just move with the English language, or do you think they need to... Just be open to that, and, and actually solving language issues is actually quite straightforward. Solving
1: a language issue is never straightforward because companies make mistake by implementing a Google or any other automated services, translations with their services, actually, and that does not work. Okay. I always recommend to the companies to go to the to the countries where English is the main language. Okay. However, still, uh, for example, if the company is going from UK to US, still they will have to make some adjustments in their language from a cultural viewpoint, but at least the fundamental language will not change, actually. Yeah. So that's why language is very, very important. I always say to the, com- to the companies, go to the countries where you have a dominance of English language, so you are not straight away going into the language translation, actually.
0: So in terms of when a company looks to go abroad and has language issues, what's the best way for them of solving this? Should they think about getting a local presence? Should they just do it remotely and maybe find someone who, who's who got linguistic culture remotely? Should they think about finding local partners? And what's the factors that affect that decision?
1: See, one of the things which companies can do actually is to, if they are going in that, uh, in the country of a different language, to find maybe a local resident to them of that country, uh, native speakers, actually. For example, so if, if, if a company is looking to do some business from UK to France, to find a French fluent speaker or a French person living in UK, in London, and uh, uh, to get the uh, head start in that direction, actually, uh, yes, it's very, very important to find an appropriate uh, partner who has appropriate skills and expertise. He's in the in the in the receiving country. Actually, about the presence, I would say it's better to show your presence through your partners to start with, and then if the business grows to that level, that makes sense from a commercial viability perspective to open an office in other countries, then definitely,
0: yes, at that stage, actually. Mm -hmm. And in terms of finding a partner, to me, it doesn't sound very easy to find a local partner because if if I was going to even countries I'm vaguely familiar with, you know, where do I start? Who do I speak to? How do I know that the partner I'm getting is a good partner for me? And how do I validate that?
1: (laughs) see this is where the VC firms like us can play a very very big role for companies actually okay because for the companies it's very difficult to find a partner when we are when they are actually running their business in their native country for the international expansion Other there is a pull type of a, a situation where somebody from that part of the world actually contact them or if they want to do an expansion, there is something very, very good channel which British government runs, which is a UK trade agency, actually. And the, uh, the local embassies in, a, in each country put up really amazing events. And for the, com- for the companies who want to expand in those countries, they are invited to participate in those events. And plus the ambassadors are very, very helpful. because I've done business myself in Saudi, in Dubai. In U.S. and few other countries, is uh, you can call upon uh, the staff, uh, embassy staff, and they always are there to assist and uh, connect you to the potential local partners who, in, in the appropriate uh, industry with the skill set.
0: Actually, mm-hmm. that's that's that's, a ve- that's very good. That would be very very helpful, I can imagine. And and to keep it topical, how do you think the pandemic has affected these things? Because People can't travel internationally or only with, with some difficulty, if they're lucky. Has that stalled what companies are doing or has it just changed the way that they do it?
1: It depends what, what they're doing, actually. So, for example, we, as we all are aware, that hospitality industry has been very badly hit, actually, because we cannot uh, travel. Also, the travel industry has been hit. But however, the remote working softwares like Zoom has been going crazy like nobody's business, actually. Yeah. So, uh, and then furthermore, I have an example in my industry, in a VC industry. There's a fund in the US who has not met their investors or investee companies face to face at all. Everything was done via Zoom and a Teams call, actually. So companies have changed the way that they used to do business. The office spaces has been changed, actually. Office working routines has been changed. In some cases, actually, it has gone a little tougher on the employees and people mm-hmm. who are supporting these businesses because the working hours are gone. The borders have been mixed. Every day during the pandemic has felt as the same day, actually. <laughs> and people kept working and started very early and finishing very late, actually.
0: Yeah, I've spoken with friends about this deja vu feeling where you just get every day just sort of blurs into the other a little bit because they do look the same. So I was thinking in terms of doing business with established partners, it seems seems when you move to Zoom, you can easily make an arrangement. If you're looking to find a new partner or expand into a new country, does that make it easier or harder, do you think? In some cases,
1: it makes it easier. In some cases, it makes it harder. Okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And why? Let's talk about why and how it makes it easier in the first place. With the Zoom call and team call, you can connect with many more people in a very short space of time. So that gives you actually an ability to connect many people and filter out the ones which you, who you think are, can be very useful. And for them also... Actually, meeting you via online meetings with hour, two hour, three hours meeting in, in 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 a week or two, you decide if we are for each other or not. Actually, however, to build a long term relationship, you have to go face to face. You have to do more than a Zoom or a Teams meeting view, viewpoint. Actually, I think there are a lot more advantages coming in that in in, in working remotely from that viewpoint. Actually,
0: yeah, and I, and my gut feeling is that as If if, if you'd asked me five years ago or two years ago, I would have said that some cultures would be very open to introductions remotely. But there are some cultures where it's, it's all about the personal connection and whatever. Do you think that different countries have moved to different extents because of that? Or do you think it's just we've all been forced to do the same thing? to be honest with you i think to some extent we have been forced to do
1: the same thing all across the globe because we cannot travel we cannot meet face-to-face people but we cannot stop doing business can we Uh we cannot stop doing we we cannot stop living actually we are living right yeah and we need to progress so we as a human being very agile race we are finding ways to move forward and one of the one of the ways to move forward is get connectivity on a, a zoom on a team calls actually because phone call was a different thing. Phone call was just a voice. But the Zoom and team call, you can see each other. So you can do, I can, I can say it's a half meeting, actually. Yes. Meeting.
0: <laughs> yes, it does feel like that, whereas, yeah, you've got half of that connection, but not quite the, the same as you had before.
1: I mean, for example, uh, we have worked together on the project, uh, sitting in different uh, cities of the world, actually, right, yes. uh, Brian? and and we have executed the project successfully. In normal days, we would have met three, four times to do the same project, actually.
0: Yes, that's very true. Instead, we had three or four calls. So yes, that that does work a lot better. So one of the other things that seems to me about internationalizing is that perhaps different sectors of this industry require for slightly different approaches. So someone who's doing B2B SaaS might do something different from clean tech, whereas someone's perhaps doing something more consumer-y their approach might be very different i know i know i did a little online business and it was international from day one because it was video streaming and anyone can access it anywhere how do you look at that in terms of sort of the, you know what you suggest to companies
1: well, look uh, uh, every business as you said yourself the b2b or uh, uh, b2c a very different dynamics mm-hmm. okay b2b will require very different type of connectivity in the in the in the receiving country uh, while as compared to b2c is again a very very different type of connectivity b2c uh, will require a lot more uh, regulation a lot more uh, research in the local culture local market etc etc i think for b2b especially it's very very important to go with a partner b2b i think you can still get away going without a partner actually in that receiving country
0: Uh i mean presumably that that, there's a spectrum in there in that if you're talking about large b2b SaaS contracts or or large industrial hardware that makes more sense if you've got something that's i think of slack which is normally a b2b product but it's got a lot of elements consumer presumably that that that's more of a hybrid or a different spectrum?
1: Of course. So that's, as you said yourself, that's a, that's a hybrid, actually. And in, in, the, in, the, in the situation of the hybrids, then the investors who are involved in that company are more wary to provide not only money, but the support in those companies as well for their expansions, actually.
0: You've mentioned a couple of times about regulations, and I think one of the things we're seeing around the world is perhaps a tendency towards nationalism and perhaps a little bit more protectionism has has been creeping in. Do you think that is increasing? Do you think that's causing a problem for digital companies, or do you think they're kind of circumventing that?
1: It's a very interesting question because one can uh, take this question in several ways, actually is a protectionism causing a problem in some cases maybe in some cases it's not actually also the technology companies should also actually look at utilizing more local services and provide more local local jobs and pay local taxes actually the issue happens when the public of a receiving country or other countries from a, uh, other than from a headquartered company uh, country for that company sees that all the benefits are being sucked out of their economy and, and actually given to the headquartered country. What needs to happen is that local earning, local spending. And that will solve this, solve this problem, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of those things that sounds very easy. If you're a, sm- a relatively small startup... How easy is it to achieve that? To be honest with you, let's talk about uh, a car industry,
1: and let's talk about the cotton industry. Okay, so a uh, cotton uh, which is used to make seat belts and different parts of the car, right, mm-hmm. goes to three continents before it touches the car, and the cars are manufactured in U.S. or Japan, mm-hmm. right? So where does the translation of the benefit happens? And this is where. We talk about the ESG, the environmental, the social, uh-huh. the governance viewpoint, right? That's where we talk about the fair trade. Say so you, you see uh, the companies like Starbucks, et cetera, are actually now claiming they are procuring their goods with the fair trade. So the farmers who are growing those crops, either the coffee or the cotton, etc., are fairly paid as to the understanding of that their goods will be used and the value of those crops and those goods will be several hundred times multiplied when the consumer will pay for them, actually. So there has to be some benefit from from the viewpoint of the end user and the person who is actually building that uh, product or that crop, actually.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it seems to me it's a challenge, and it's, it's something I see underlying things, but I'm never quite sure about... You read about these things in the press, and you're never quite sure about how big of a challenge that they really are uh. It's a very big challenge. I must say that it's a it's a quite a big
1: challenge and it's a very, very difficult thing to tackle, especially in the in the time of a global trade we live in because the goods move several countries, several continents before they touch the end consumer. The end consumer is the one which is paying for the whole thing actually
0: so When companies are internationalizing, you've obviously been supporting companies for quite a few years now. What sort of mistakes do you see companies making?
1: Expanding into the countries without what we have uh, spoken about earlier uh, in this podcast the culture, the language, not understanding the market intensity not uh, reading the market properly and thinking that if something is working, UK will also work in X, Y, Z country, actually. Yeah, and that was the biggest mistakes companies make. And the worst thing have, can happen to any company is that they rely I, a lot of their income from international expansions from in the first three years. And, the, and, and if that does not happen and their expenditure is far greater than what their balance sheet can handle in the native country, that's where the company's ease, uh, results can be strong.
0: Yeah, presumably there's a challenge in there in that most startups at some point have expenditure that in theory is unsustainable until they get, they're relying on 18 months' time, you're going to get future funding or whatever anyway. So A, that's, that sort of risk-taking is kind of in their DNA and secondly, they kind of expect that's the risk that they're – well, maybe it's a different way of saying the same thing – that they expect that's the risk that they're expected to take to grow. That I agree with you. Startups is all about growth. Otherwise,
1: why would people invest into startups, actually? Because the whole idea of startup is to build an exponential organization. I've got two favorite books I really like. One is the Exponential Organization, and one is the Building a Lean Startups. Uh-huh. Okay, And I recommend these both books to be read at in parallel or together, because one actually talks about to be ambitious, aggressive towards the growth, and other talks about how to keep your ambition and alive while also actually running the organization in a in, in a lean way and mm-hmm. if you marry the two things successfully you see all the startups which are successful have done it actually
0: yeah so it's kind of balancing the two is it's rather than just going for pie in the sky and be damned or whatever
1: absolutely absolutely it has to be balancing act as everything else in life
0: yes So you've already spoken a little about a couple of things investors can do. How do you see the role of investors in terms of helping companies internationalize?
1: As we have uh, discussed uh, earlier in in the podcast, that uh, they can pick up the companies of their interest where they can also do a value add, not only just to pick the company and put it in that country, but actually open business doors so for example if i'm talking to a potential partner for a company to expand from uk to north america my questions are to them is can you assist the company to generate a business in next 3 years not a first year not a second year 3 years that the third year they will have a break even can you attract, can you assist us in in raising local capital? So, for example, if the company is going to North America, then can you assist us in raise money for North American branch or North American entity itself, actually? Uh-huh. okay. So then we can have a local investor risking their capital on a local opportunity, assisting us into expanding uh, product and services for a local market. Because, you see, uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing I've heard from somebody in my life is that Think globally, act locally, and panic internally. Okay? <laughs> and so, of course, you have to ha- you have to think globally. You have to think about the global uh, application of the products or projects or ideas you're doing. That's what the startup is about. But then, the local actions are very important.
0: Yeah, and when you, when you talk about people thinking it globally is that something when people are thinking right at the start product development they're thinking i should find a product that i can use internationally or is that something that's just secondary a good idea will naturally internationalize good idea will naturally uh, internationalize that's what
1: i would say a furthermore you know if a market gap is found in a uk market there could be already someone doing that in a us market already and that's where that's where the mergers and MA opportunities come along actually in our own portfolio or oh, the companies some of the companies i'm in touch with there could be a target for some north american companies or these companies can go out and buy with the north american companies themselves or can exist in parallel uh, well, as well in the market, eat, uh, fighting for the market share,
0: actually. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the U.S. is very interesting because you've got a situation where, in one sense, it's the largest market in the world. So in terms of money and in terms of openness to technology, it's probably as open as, as anywhere in the world. At the same time, we know about Silicon Valley. There's-, there's a huge amount of other stuff going on there. And it would seem to me that, in business terms, other markets... Should be more open i don 't know if companies really perceive that we've spoken a little about South Asia, and how many companies think of South Asia as the first place to expand rather than say the u s
1: it's an interesting question because see the uh, South Asian market and American market both give different type of opportunities and different type of challenges okay in america there's brilliant openness. You can go expand your business. However, the market is so big that if you are not careful, you can get sunk in there, actually. okay. In contrast, South Asian market is very small as compared to the U.S. market. However, their problems are very different. Their problems are logistics problems, legal problems, regulation problems, etc., because there are a lot of hurdles in that way, actually. Mm-hmm. So really, a, a company or entrepreneurs has to consider which market they are going for and take the approach for that market because one size does not fit all. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And a very conscious, I say, South like asia easier there, like it's a homogeneous mass. And it's far from a homogeneous area. Right? I mean, the culture in Pakistan, India, or, or the Middle East are all very, very different to each other. Exactly. Which creates its own challenges. So what I'd like to do now is move on to our standard questions. So you've already jumped the gun a little bit on one of them, which is fine. So I'll throw these out and we'll get what your thoughts are. So what was the most recent publicly announced investment that you made and why did you make it?
1: We have raised money for the company called Ascendant. Ascendant is a digitization play out of UAE. And they are capturing the first market as a Pakistani market, and it is a digitization play in the hospitality sector. Okay. So Pakistan is where Indonesia used to be 10 to 15 years back, where more than 50%, 60% bookings are happening via telephone or via people going into the hotels themselves. So that's why we have done this investment, and we feel that we are going to assist this company to expand into Africa, into possibly a European or U.K. and U.S. markets as well. But we'll come to these markets later on, or maybe we get acquired for, for, by some of the bigger players from these markets, actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you know you have people like Hotels.com or Trivago or whatever these name my take is they kind of dominate the market, but is that true everywhere? That is why actually we
1: invested in this company because it's not true everywhere actually because you need and this is this is a fantastic example of talking about local expansion or localization okay mm-hmm. because you need foot in the ground to bring hotels on to the platform. They are not in living in a digital age. They are living in a pre-digital age, right? So how do you capture the market? How, you, how do you bring the subscribers to the platform, actually? And this is what we have done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I've, as, as, as I say, and in the days when I could travel, I remember going around Cambodia, and I used two different sites for hotels, and they actually had different quite different sets of hotels on them because mm-hmm. presumably for, for that very reason, whereas it's, it, it's not like the U.S. where every hotel's just signed up to everything. Exactly. So in the classic VC triumvirate of market product management, we know that they're all important, but which one do you think is the most important? I think uh, product. Okay. Product is the most uh, important thing because if
1: the product is not solving a problem no matter what you offer will not fly so it has to be a product first and then the product addressing in in the way market will
0: resonate to that so tell us about the time you failed and what you learned from it so uh, my Journey as an investor
1: definitely comes with its own price. Mm -hmm. And the international expansion, we failed because of the reasons I've discussed earlier. Because we did not understood and read the market well. We tried to take the one technology for confidentiality reasons. I cannot take the name of the company in the product set. But we took the company, uh, it was a Swiss origin technology company related to event and we tried to launch it into middle east but because that technology required in a way of certain working which was not in line with middle eastern cultures we could not uh, take the company off the ground actually
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and we had to retreat
0: and did the company learn from that and try again later different way or did they say right the middle east isn't for us we'll try somewhere else no,
1: actually, they are back in Middle East, but they have changed the way of their workings and the way technology works, actually. So they have catered to the market. It took five-year cycle of going in, pulling out, and going back in.
0: Okay. Yes. No, these things can take some time. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned earlier, the EIS and VCT industry that we work in is fantastic in many ways, but it's not perfect. What would you like to change about it?
1: What would I like to change about it? I think what can assist in these um, EIS uh, industry or EIS market is more marketability and ease of investments, which is done by the uh, fund structure, et cetera. But I think the more work can be done, more cutting edge or real risky businesses to attract investment. Because this incentive is not to do tax planning, but this incentive is actually fuel the growth of British ideas, actually.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think that message is getting through, but it seems to be quite slow. I mean, the pension capital review, the, the risk of capital condition. I mean, we've had the risk of the capital condition now for almost three years, I think. And we still haven't quite shared this, oh, it's there for tax planning. It, it, we're getting better, but it's, taking, it's another thing that's taking a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. You, mentioned couple of, you mentioned a couple of books. Is there anything else that you'd like to recommend, or is that your best suggestion? No, I
1: think from, uh, uh, from the topic we are discussing, I will stick to the exponential organizations and Lean Starter. are two good books to read,
0: actually. Okay, we shall post links to those in the show notes. And what do you wish you knew when you started with Invitech that you know now? I know it's not a long long time ago, but you've probably learned something. Of course, the challenges
1: of uh, VC industry, although uh, we did this journey at a very interesting times because when we took over and when we were about to launch, we were uh, hit by uh, COVID. So in some ways, it's good. In some ways, it's bad uh, that uh, uh, some ways good means it gave us more chance to reflect on ourselves it uh, gave us a chance to adjust us more in more agile fashion and but what we uh, uh, what what we should have known is the dependency of this business with the face to face interactions but as i said that is changing and uh, the regulators and the regulations are also adjusting from that viewpoint because in past, the past, when you can present, how you can present, etc., was all face-to-face done. But now we all are doing the, this business online.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's another industry where things are just changing whether we like it or not. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. We have to. Absolutely. So if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing at InverTech, where should they go?
1: They are more than welcome to follow us on our social media. We have a LinkedIn page. We have a Twitter handle with InvoTech. And we do exist on a web with InvoTech website, Com and Uk as well. We'll be more than happy to get in touch if somebody have any questions or anything they would like to know about us, actually.
0: Great. Well, again, we'll post links to those in the show notes. So... Thank you very much for coming on today, Tafiq. It's been really interesting talking about expanding to the rest of the world. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this experience. Thank you. So we hope you enjoyed that. If you want to find out more, the show notes will be available at hardmanco.com forward slash podcast. If you like, really like what you heard, you can give us a review with lots of stars on iTunes. You can subscribe to this through iTunes, Spotify and all good podcast players. If you want to give us feedback or find out more about what we're doing, then you can send us an email at inquiries at com. Thanks very much for listening and hope to hear from you soon.